through the wonders of this, we remind ourselves that on this day of all days, we come together as the body of Christ. I asked you uh, to bring a candle along with you. And uh, if you've got one, um, can you just light it, make sure it's lit and then just put it somewhere safe. When the gospel writers were writing the story, uh, introducing the gospel, really, um, you know only too well that when John writes his introduction to the gospel, he began it with these words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, overcome it. I mean, either of those two things, but this light continues to shine. Even in the darkness and we'll hold that together. This day is one part of a whole story. It's not the whole story, but it's worth slowing down because it's such a vital part of the story. It's literally the crux of the story. And when we think about the cross on a day like today, we do it so not just out of prayerful reverence. It's not just some religious activity that we engage with. It's because we know that we're set in motion by the power of the cross. We're energized by it. We're upheld by it. We're guaranteed uh, a future by it. We're secured for the future because of it. And I guess it's true that actually in our life together, all through the year, um, in preaching, in small groups, in prayer groups, we're trying to unpack what that means. What is the point of the cross? And tonight what we do is we spend some time just coming back and hearing the story that is absolutely central to our faith. The story of Jesus who died for us. What we're going to do tonight is a little different perhaps than we would do on a Sunday. It's going to be much more um, you receiving things rather than interacting particularly. We've got a couple of uh, film clips we're going to show you. We've got a number of readings that people will share with us and we've got the readings on the screen so you'll be able to follow those. Um, Ian's got uh, two or three songs that he and Morag will lead us in and as ever you can just take the opportunity to listen or you can sing along. We'll mute you so that's possible. Um, but in a sense, what we do tonight is we bring ourselves with stillness back to the beginning. So I'm gonna begin by the idea of one man who would be a sacrifice that we might go free is of course 
seen at the cross. It's the central part of our understanding of who Jesus was. But actually, that story, that idea, that notion that one might take the place of another stretches back a long way into scripture itself. It begins as early as in the life of Abraham. And um, Claire is going to read um, a story from Abraham's life that you know really well. Um, but it's a moment where a substitution is made, where something that was inevitable doesn't happen and something new is born. So as Claire reads, I'm going to share the screen again, and that means that we'll be able to see the text itself. When you're ready, Claire. Okay. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Thanks, Claire. Kind of an interesting story, isn't it? Of uh, a horrific story in one sense of Abraham hearing God say, sacrifice your son. And um, Abraham wanted to love God so much that he would. And yet God stopping it and saying, I will provide the lamb, the lamb that will take the place 
it won't end as you imagine. Throughout the history of uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, they began to see that actually this idea that one would pay the price for many became their hope, really. The recognition that actually as a people, they were rebellious by nature. As a people, they kind of always had a natural bias against the one who loved them. And the only way they would be able to come back would be if someone would carry their sin. And in the prophets, and particularly in Isaiah, Isaiah begins to see a number of visions of how that will work out. And in particular, what he sees and what he calls someone is the suffering servant, that one person will come who will carry on their own, in their own lives, all the suffering and all the punishment that actually would, in normal cases, be carried by the people of God. Now, I'm looking through because Sunita was going to read this, but I don't know if Sunita's with us. So I'll read this. It's uh, it's from Isaiah. And Isaiah writes, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, He'll see the light of life and be justified. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him 
a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah writing around 600, 700 years before Jesus looked ahead and recognized that one would carry the sin. One would pay the price. One would carry away our sin. Christians have uh, sung their theology from the earliest days. We're at our best when we sing. And uh, so with that in mind, I'm going to uh, hand over to Ian and Morag, and they're going to lead us in a couple of songs um, that I think, if you go to the chat, no, the words aren't there, but um, you might find them elsewhere. But listen or sing along if you can. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Neil. We're going to uh, sing a couple of songs, one very new and one very old. Uh, the first one is by Chris Tomlin. It's called At the Cross. Your love ran red. So if you want to sing along and get the lyrics on uh, a different uh, page on the internet, you can do. Unfortunately, we can't paste them for some reason, this, uh, this service. The next one is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, the old hymn. Fantastic hymn with great words. So it might be just you might just want to listen along listen to it instead and uh, and just sort of savor the words, really. Thank you. 
The earliest Christians, what they were really aware of, I mean, there's many things, but probably two things just to say this evening, is first, how much Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament in himself. I don't think this was coincidental. I don't think it's, I don't think it was like, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that. I think Jesus sort of took upon himself, he knew what he was doing, and in taking on some of the Old Testament prophecies, some of the Old Testament references into himself, I think what he was doing was enacting all that God had promised, all that had been hoped for, all that had been desired over the years. And the other thing that the earliest Christians were aware of 
is that although on the one hand, if you'd have asked what's going on in the cross, the easiest answer would have been, well, the Jewish leaders feel intimidated by this upstart rabbi and they want to get rid of him. Or the Romans feel he's a troublemaker and uh, for the sake of the state, they want to crucify him. And both those things would be true. But actually what they realized was that the thing that was really being defeated was death. Death was being taken on on the cross. Death, that final victory by the enemy of God, the devil. The death that says it's all for nothing. The indignity of it, the fear of it, the finality of it, the frustration of it, the pointlessness of it only to live a few years and then to die. But actually what the earliest Christians knew is that on the cross, death was defeated. It's almost like Jesus took it on and won. We're going to do two readings. Uh, Val's going to read in a moment or two from Psalm 22. It's, of course, that psalm that Jesus um, speaks about on the cross and uh, Val will read quite a bit of that psalm and then after that uh, Pat Rush will read from the writer of the Hebrews who's reflecting on Jesus and what happened on the cross where Jesus defeated death so what I'll do is I'm going to unmute Val and I'll unmute you Pat and we'll share the screen so Val you um you begin when you're ready, and then after that, um, Pat, you can just do the reading straight after that, if that's okay. Val. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From the womb I was cast on you, from my mother's womb. Lord, you have been. Do not be far from me. I'm sorry, Neil, it's gone all blurred. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. 
but you lord do not be far from me you are my strength come quickly to help me deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dogs pat do you want to read in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, as that by the death, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with it as well, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he holds, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted thanks to both of you for reading that that sense in both that actually on the cross when he's crying out in the abandonment my god my god why have you abandoned me he's reflecting that much longer psalm about a god who actually is close to the broken heart who who doesn't allow those prayers to go unheard and when the writer of the hebrews is writing he's saying actually the fact that jesus came in flesh and died means that now he stood where you stand and he knows what you face and he knows what you fear and he's overcome the power of death and he calls you brothers and he calls you sisters it's been the story that jesus has told all along and uh i'll show you a little film that might illustrate that i think um it can be easy to imagine that actually the cross is this place of tragedy, the place where we're supposed to just be really sad all the time about it. It's, and yet 
I think what, as I've thought about it and as I've tried to prepare for tonight, what I've wanted to remind myself is that the stories of God all the way through the Old Testament were, were pointing towards this. It wasn't, um, and, and you know this because you've been Christian so long, some of you, that it wasn't like this is a tragedy that's overtaken Jesus, but this is something that he steps into. This is a decision he takes. This is the road he walks on because he knows it's the gateway between the Father and humanity. And it focuses on that Friday, on that day when the Romans did get hold of him, when he was handed over and when he was crucified. And we're going to listen to that being read. Um, Julian's going to uh, read the first part and then I'll read the second part. Let me share the screen again. Council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together. Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, Son of Man seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? He replied, you say. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his whole li own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Pilate, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, 
for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. And then they'll say to the mountains, Fallen us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree's green, what will happen when it's dry? Two of the men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's got Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he'd said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who'd gathered to witness his sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who'd followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. 
we're going to listen to Ian and Morag sing again for us and with us. of you. I don't know if this next part is going to be possible for you, but if uh, you're in a room on your own and you have a candle lit, do you want to turn out your electric light and just have the candle lit? So if that's possible, just uh, 
Okay, if that's possible. If not, don't worry. But of course now, um, certainly if you're looking at me, you see a very strange picture because I'm in the dark, uh, just lit by one candle. And that light is the light of the world and the darkness seeks to overcome it. And it's easy to imagine that actually if the light goes out, then we're just in the darkness. And the story that we believe to be true is this, that on Good Friday, the world sought to put out the light and God himself allowed the light to be put out because he knew that through the dying of the light, salvation would be brought to us all. It's actually in the darkness that salvation is achieved. It says Jesus cries out, it's finished, that actually the work is done. It's in the darkness that God does the work of redemption for us all. And you and I, whenever, however, whatever the story was about the way we came to recognize this Jesus, actually we came in because of that night all those years ago we came into the father because of that i'm going to pray on behalf of us all and then what i'm going to ask you to do is blow your candle out and essentially that will be the end of the service it's not really how we end services is it we end services with a good old rendition of Ren Collective or something. We end services normally with cheers and claps and whoops and hollers. And that's Sunday. But today is Friday. And today we remind ourselves actually of the cost and of the pain and of the Father's love that bought salvation for us all. Let me pray first. Father God, we are separated from one another, but we're never separated from you. And we're not separated from you because of the simple truth that on the cross, you separated yourself, Father, from your own son. And that tearing apart in a way that people much more intelligent than us have tried to understand at the heart of that mystery where God turns on himself and allows the son to take the judgment, the sin, the rebellion of us all, where the one without sin becomes sin, that we who were sinners might be made glorious. So tonight, as we've reminded ourselves of the stories, the stories that stretch back into the Old Testament to Abraham's life, where sacrifice was provided so that someone could go free, where death was defeated, about a Messiah who came and, and lent into 
the idea of carrying in himself the pain and rejection that would have been the result for a whole people, but he carried it through to that death on a cross. And Lord, thank you that in all of that story, we find life. Lord, as we leave one another this evening, thank you for the fact that our life is made complete because of all that was done in the darkness through Friday night, Saturday, until on Sunday morning when the angels declared that Jesus has risen. Everything changed. So, Father, may we know that one more time. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that we are not separated from you. Thank you for the salvation that was wrought even in darkness. And though the darkness seemed to overcome it, thank you that the light became a blaze that continues even to this day. So do it in us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So when you're ready, blow your candle and then we'll leave. And I'm not actually going to unmute everybody so you won't say goodbye to everybody. You'll just go bit by bit. And on Sunday morning, we will join again. And it's a different story, isn't it? It's the story of resurrection. The story of a whole new start. What might be effective is if you watch, just as people blow out the candle, you'll see screens going dark. And in the darkness, no, salvation was being wrought. So when you're ready, blow your candle. And you'll see the names, still the names. And you know that Christ died for all of you, for all your names. <coughs> And so what we do is the equivalent of gently and carefully walking out of a building, knowing that when we gather again, it'll be Easter Sunday. Know your salvation, the salvation of the God who loves you and who gave himself for you so that it would change everything. Thanks for being with us. Have a blessed night. Good night.